Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Just looking back, I mean, what an incredible journey we've had through the Book of Romans, right? We, we learned so, so much. I mean, um, I spent the past three days trying to put it all together and it was over 40 pages so we have really really learned a lot it's been a year filled with profound teachings and the unmistakable presence of god um, in our midst as well um and before we dive into today's study i want to extend um, a heartfelt thank you to our pastor for consistently venturing into the depths of god's word Honestly, it's it's just amazing and really just for the opportunity as well to bring God's word to us tonight. Thank you to Pastor Dami. Thank you to all of our associate pastors as well. Let's just um, say thank you to our pastors. Let's just love upon them. Let's tag them and let's just say thank you for your dedication um, to the word. Thank you, sirs and ma, for your dedication to the word. All right. Um, let's bow our heads as we pray. Mm. Wow, thank you, Abba Father, for your presence. Thank you. Holy Spirit, please give us understanding as we study the scriptures tonight. Mm. Let there be a deluge of God's word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to be teaching um, on something called choosing the better part. And just um, as the year winds down, I mean, we might be taking stock of our lives, maybe doing our own version of like Spotify wrapped, you know, and just looking back at the whole year and just, you know, seeing how it's gone and thinking about what steps we can take to optimize, like optimize our lives maybe for the new year. And as I was thinking about this, I was drawn to the passage in Luke 10, 38 to 42. And that's where we'll just camp um, today. So that passage is the passage on Mary and Martha. And, you know, in our faith journey, we can often struggle with a lot of decisions. I mean, it's a whole lifetime over the course of, say, if if you were a Christian from, say, maybe age 20 and then you live um, 50 to 60 more years, that's a lifetime of a lot of decisions that you want to get right um, and you want to do it in a way that, you know, pleases God. And so we're just trying to optimize our lives by, you know, balancing several priorities. And often we kind of have these three boxes. We just, you know, divide life. And you'd say, oh, you know, like there's spending time with God, which is like devotion or your secret place, you know, wherever you choose to call it. And then there might be spending time serving the Lord, which is like, you know, being active in church, being a part of a ministry and just growing in that sense. And then there's a third box, which is like everything else. So it's like school, parenting, chores, entertainment, going out with friends, everything else, you know. But what if these three boxes were just one box from which everything else, from which everything flowed, you know, and the story of Mary and Martha, um, is often used to teach about priorities. And I think that it will just offer us some insights on how to choose 
the better part in every moment. So let's just turn our Bibles to Luke, no, choosing, no, choosing the better part. So it's not P-A-T-H, it's P-A-R-T, um, choosing the better part. Um, so just turn with me to Luke 10, 38 to 42. Um, and let's just read that together. So I'll just read in the ESV, okay? It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him, that's to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Five verses, very simple story. The design and structure of this story in Luke is so straightforward and it's, it's literally linear. It's like back to back. Jesus is traveling. Mary extends hospitality to Jesus. Sorry, Martha extends hospitality to Jesus. Uh, Mary listens to uh, Jesus's teaching. Uh, Martha attends to some duties and preparations and tasks. And Martha complains that, you know, Mary is not helping her. Um, and then Martha asks Jesus to instruct Mary, to force Mary to help her. And then Jesus says, Mary has chosen the better part. Okay, so let's fixate a little on 38 to 39. Um, so it says, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. I want you to take note of that. I will return to that later in the teaching. Sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. First things first, this narrative does not intend to present Jesus as an egalitarian feminist. That's not what this is about. This is not a passage for anyone to say, oh, look, Jesus is commending a woman who is not cooking or, you know, I don't know. Because so many people read this and I myself have probably done this previously um, to say, oh, we're cheering for Mary. She's, you know, going outside of traditional gender roles. And, you know, yes, she should be cheered. But if that's all we fixate on, then we'll miss the actual gist. So let's look again. Who welcomed Jesus into, the, into her home? It was Martha, right? Who is spending time with Jesus? It was Mary. So now I want to ask you the first question. Who was being hospitable? Who was serving in that moment? Was it Mary or was it Martha? And let's just think about that for a second. And yeah. So before you say Mary though, because I think the first thing that comes to our mind is, yeah, of course, Mary. Let's just hold on. The story is interesting because we can easily be Martha. In fact, we are very often Martha. And looking from her lens, if you look from Martha's lens, this is what you say. You say, you'll expect that Jesus should affirm the person who welcomes him into their home, right? And the person who is also preparing everything that he needs to make him comfortable, right? And our instincts are also probably telling us that, you know, 
perhaps Mary should actually help her sister, right? Especially if she's the younger sister, because what kind of last born behavior <laughs> you should be helping out, right? Um, you can't just be sitting around. Our instincts also probably tell us that, you know, Jesus should not be pointing fingers at Martha for suggesting that, you know, Mary should help her with the work. Because, okay, yeah, okay, so what? Martha is distracted by her many tasks. Why should Jesus add insult to injury by praising Mary again in front of everybody too? Which one? It was all this. What does Jesus even mean by saying that, you know, Mary has chosen the good portion? What's that? Like the good portion is, of course, doing the work, isn't it? And this is how this story disturbs us because it makes us question the way that we live. Because right now we are all a little bit of Martha, right? And this story is kind of pouring sand in our garage. So nobody will deny that, you know, Martha's complaint is fair. Like, in fact, Jesus is actually saying, Jesus actually acknowledges uh, Martha's frustration. If you look at verse 41, he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. So he does recognize that, you know, there's something going on with you. Um, but yet he's praising Mary for choosing to sit at his feet and listen to his to his teaching and immediately you think does that mean that jesus values mary's choice over martha's choice i don't immediately think so i think that what jesus values or what jesus is what jesus values is ensuring that mary gets to keep her choice and that's why he says it will not be taken away from her and remember the apostles they said we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the word they had made a choice and that choice must not be taken away from them so that they are forced to go and do something else that was not um, their choice or their calling. But I'll, I'll get into this. And maybe we're thinking, well, Mary's not an apostle, right? Mary's no apostle. She's a woman. She has what she's supposed to be doing. And that's where that phrase, at the feet of Jesus, kind of comes in. Because in those times, you see, um, in those times, when um, a disciple's rabbi is present, the disciple would sit at their rabbi's feet. So it was a posture of humility and it was a way to declare to people who were or onlookers or people around them that this is the person that I'm learning from. So when you sit at someone's feet, it's a posture of humility, the posture of I'm here to learn, I'm teachable. And when Luke captures for us that Mary is sitting, like it could have just told us that, you know, she, she was listening to his teaching, but it says she sat at the Lord's feet. Putting that as part of the narrative is indicating that Mary had made a really bold choice because at the time, women didn't have that luxury. Women were not necessarily allowed to learn from a rabbi. And this is what makes Mary's action so shocking to Martha. So how can this girl be doing this, you know? And perhaps even the men around her were, you know, like, okay, something is going on here. Is Jesus going to do something about this or not? Because it went against the cultural norms of the day. And Jesus commends her for it. But let's go further, okay? So the problem with Martha is not her serving. It's not her serving. After all, like, that's her choice. Um, what Jesus actually chides Martha about is her worry and her distraction and in the greek the word used there means to be over busied to be drawn away into many different places the word is perispal and it means to draw away 
So you're over busied, you're drawn away into many different places. You could almost describe Martha as being double minded. And we know what scripture says about the double minded, right? They're unstable. They're unable to receive from the Lord. Martha chose hospitality. She had chosen, okay, this is how I want to serve the Lord. But her distraction, her worry left no room for the better part, the most important part or aspect of hospitality, which is attention to the guest. So Martha opened her home to Jesus, but closed her heart. Her heart was full of worry. Her heart was full of anxiety. Her heart was full of the tasks. And many of us fill our lives with activities for Jesus, but not our hearts. Our hearts, we fill our hearts with anxiety. We fill our hearts with high sounding philosophies, because sitting at Jesus's feet is too much of a bold choice. We don't want to do the bold thing like Mary. Instead, we're over busied, we're drawn away, we're distracted. And what we see here is that devotion is the true mark of any disciple. Any true disciple of the Lord must be bold enough to sit still at his feet. If you have made a choice to serve, serve without worry, serve without anxiety. Because if you look at verse 40, Martha was so focused on her tasks that she actually wanted Jesus to send her sister to join her. Like she wanted to snatch away her sister's choice because she couldn't see how what her sister was doing made any sense. Do you see? To Martha, as far as Martha was concerned, having Mary join her it was a better way to serve Jesus than sitting at Jesus's feet doing quote and unquote nothing. Because to Martha, it was not for Mary to do that. And we might have people around us who are like Martha in certain moments, or perhaps we are like Martha, you know? So some people may see our devotion to ministry or our, our calling or our going to church or our serving. They may see it as something meaningless and they may try to draw us away from it. They may try to push us away from it. They may try to say to us, you know, this is this thing that you've chosen is not the real way to serve. Um, you know, come, let me show you, you know, the appropriate thing to do. And that thing might look more busy. That thing might look more active. But we need to stand firm. If we have chosen the better part, we should not let anything to deprive us of our choice right the mother's worry mother's distraction pretty much prevented her from seeing the goodness in mary's choice so she assessed that entire situation wrongly she didn't even realize that she could have said to herself oh mary's sitting here and jesus did not send her away that means i can sit there too I can sit at Jesus' feet too. Isn't Martha to go, wow, a new path has opened up here. She could have seen the situation as, this is an invitation to sit at the feet of Jesus. Instead, she's scolding Jesus. And she's frustrated with her sister. So her worry, her distraction, causes her to drive a wedge, not just between her and her sister, but she's also driving a wedge between herself and Jesus. And that's what distraction and worry can do. It can cause us to just loathe people and blame God because these things block our eyes and cause us to interpret life through a lens of fear. And so we're taking stock of our lives, but are we taking stock of our year? Maybe you're taking stock of this year, you're looking back on this year. Are you looking back on this year with a, the lens of worry, the lens of distraction, the lens of anxiety, the lens of regret? Um, 
I mean, how many times this year maybe has worry or anxiety or distraction caused you to be upset, to lash out, to become frustrated at God or at other people? There might have been situations where you could have chosen what was better. You could have reassessed the situation to see how it was working in your favor, but you couldn't see because your mind was just cluttered with the distractions, the preparations, the tasks. If all of our activities actually leave us anxious and troubled, and we have no time to be still at Jesus's feet, we have no time to receive from God or hear his word, we will become a people who are serving out of frustration. We will serve from a place devoid of love and joy. We will be pointing fingers at others, like why isn't this person doing this? Or why isn't this person doing that? And another thing is that in our culture, our culture is full of like hectic schedules. I mean, you talk to anyone, any working cl class person, these days and you'll just see that the schedule is packed and there's just this relentless pursuit of productivity right we are i think because of this we are tempted to to measure our own self-worth based on how busy we are so like by how busy, maybe how busy we are, how many events we're going to, how much stuff we're getting done, or how much we accomplish, or how well we met the expectations of others. So maybe you're taking stock of your year, and you're just thinking, you're like, I'm, I'm measuring my year based on how busy was I this year? How much did I accomplish this year? How, how well did I meet the expectations that other people set? Or if I'm you know, like just looking at my year and just saying to myself, was I busy? Was I active? Was I doing stuff? Was I all over the place? And that's how we're taking stock of our year. But our identity is actually not in our busyness. Our identity is in our devotion to Christ. As we wind down, let me just say that again. Our identity is not in our busyness. Our identity is in our devotion to Christ, okay? So as we wind down the year, think about how you have lived the past 341 plus, uh, 341 days, yeah. And keep that in the forefront of your mind. To whom or to what have you been devoted? Who have you chased or what have you chased? What's the sum of your hours? because we all had 1,440 minutes every day this year. What did we use those minutes to pursue? What did we spend them on? Or who did we spend them on? And when we begin to take stock of these things, when we begin to answer these questions, our real identity will emerge. We'll know if we have been choosing the better part. And this is why Paul could say, I'm a servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, I think Pidam's teaching was talking about that in the book of Romans. He didn't say, I'm an itinerant minister. I'm the founder of the church in Ephesus, in Philippi, in Corinth, in Galatia. He didn't read off his CV. He didn't take his identity by his accomplishments. He described himself according to who he was devoted to. He says, I, Paul, a servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he described himself, according to who he was devoted to. 
And I mean, sure, his devotion made him busy. Do you see? His devotion made him busy because he traveled a lot of places. He lived a very active life, but it flowed from his devotion to the things of God's kingdom. It didn't flow from worry or distractions. It flowed from a place of devotion. So he would say to him, I am a servant. I am devoted. I am serving. And then everything else flowed from there. And so distractions, really, you are distracted. You know, that's what, that's what, um, it, there's a version that says, Martha, Martha, you are distracted, actually. Um, I can't find that version now. But anyway, distraction, worry, anxiety, these things are the obstacles to devotion. So remember those three boxes, spending time with the Lord, spending time serving the Lord, and then everything else. What if we don't see everything else as a distraction from boxes two or box one? What if everything was in one box of devotion and everything that we did or everything that we do flows from that box? You see, Apostle Paul did not see his tent-making his tent-making career, quote-unquote, as a distraction from his itinerant ministry. He saw it as a means to further that ministry. So for him, you know, he made tents and he, he used the money from that to further his itinerant ministry. So in a way, tent-making was a part of his devotion. And tent-making is not just to set up canopy. It was a tough job. It required long hours of physical labor, yet it was never an excuse. We never see Paul once say, oh, I have this tent that I have to set up for somebody, so I cannot come to you guys in Philippi. I cannot come to you guys in Ephesus because there's this tent. There's this, there's this tent I have to set up. I promise the guy. It just It's never spoken of. You never also see Apostle Paul asking Timothy, to quit and join him and become a tent maker. Ah, you see, so that's what Martha does. Martha is like, Mary, quit what you're doing. Come and join me in this thing I'm doing. Apostle Paul never does that. So there is one box, right? Because our life should actually not be lived in silos. It's one holistic life of which the Lord must be in full command of that life. And applying this principle will really just help us make better life choices. It will help us choose better. Remember, the scripture says, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. She was trying to handle many boxes. She was having many different boxes when one box was all she needed. So as you are curating your life maybe you're merging these boxes into that one box of devotion you will streamline your life and your living and anything that will not bring glory to god by the way that you live should just not make it in there anything that will not bring glory to god shouldn't be in your box it's because you have three different boxes that you feel like you can indulge in certain things but if you had one box and that one box is devotion then you will streamline everything. You will choose better. You will walk circumspect, do you see? And as you ask yourself for every activity, of what benefit is this? Of what eternal significance is this? 
how does doing this exemplify my devotion? As I care for my children, it exemplifies my devotion to Christ. I'm being a parent. I'm raising them in the way of the Lord. So you ask yourself for everything. How does this exemplify my devotion? And it will really just help us to choose better. And for some of us, choosing, choosing the better part actually requires a lot of discipline because the way that we live our lives now, thank, thank you to technology or no thanks to technology, we, we have high-tech habits, right? So you're doing Bible study. You want to quickly check the Greek lexicon for something. But three hours later, you're somewhere in Bella, Niger, I don't know. Because <laughs> how many times have we, you know, we say, oh, we just want to quickly check something on Instagram. We just quickly want to, it, it may even be, oh, like I follow this Christian influence. I just want to check quickly. And three hours later, you are looking at stories on celebrity marriages, scandals, top 10 places to travel for cheap without a visa. Where can my Nigerian passport take me? Remote tech jobs that pay in US dollars. You, you've just, it has gone. So sometimes we need discipline. We need to say to ourselves, every, if you do it every five minutes, just to catch yourself, am I in devotion? Am I in devotion? Am I in devotion? Am I choosing the better in this situation, in this moment? Am I choosing, am I choosing the better part? And so, so double back to verse 41 to 42. You see that Jesus, when Jesus is, or rather when Martha comes to make that request, when Jesus refuses Martha's request, right, to send Mary to help her, it's not because of what Mary had chosen to do. It's because of who Mary had chosen to be with. I'll say that again. When Jesus, is re when Jesus refuses Martha's request, it's not because of what Mary had chosen to do, but because of who Mary had chosen to be with. He couldn't allow that to be taken away from her. And at the same time, when Jesus admonishes Martha, when Jesus says to Martha, You're, this is the problem, he's talking to her about her being worried and her being upset. He's not complaining that she's making preparations. He's not complaining that she has too many tasks. Jesus knows that Martha is preparing all of this for him, but he doesn't want her to do it from a place of worry or frustration. Do you see? So I keep reiterating this. The problem is not Martha's preparations. The problem is with her attitude of resentment and her false assessment of the situation, okay? So, we don't need to reject Martha's preparations. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying devotion means no, it means, you know, rejecting the active or it means rejecting um, the active life. We need to reject Martha's attitude because the reality is that someone has to do the work. The work that Martha was doing was important work. Remember, the apostles didn't say, eh, well, uh, yeah, we won't care for waiting tables. That's none of our business someone we won't it's none of my business they knew that someone had to do the work but like mary they couldn't let their choice their initial choice their primary ch choice be taken away from them so imagine they had imagine the apostles had 
you know, said, okay, you know what, we have to do this by ourselves. And they are taking up the task of waiting the tables. And then they started doing it out of frustration and resentment. That's, that's essentially what happened to Martha. Because imagine she had called Mary and Mary had left there to join her. And then Mary was also now being frustrated and resentful. But Martha was fine because Mary is here helping me. That's not the way to serve. So they knew what was at stake for them because they understood their calling, the apostles, and they chose the better part. And we can really learn from their example, you know, how to do the same in our lives. So tell your neighbor, choose the better part. Choose the better part. In every situation, focus on the better part. Focus on how is this thing working in my favor? Choose the better part, okay? And I mean, now if we come back to take another look at Mary and Martha. The crux of this story really eh, is that in that moment, one sister failed to recognize the calling of the other sister. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if we draw a parallel between Mary and Martha as a picture of the great commandments, to love the Lord with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, we see that Martha clearly loved her neighbors. She welcomed them into her home. She wanted to care for them. She ensured that, you know, they were all well fed. While Mary loved the Lord with all her heart, her soul, her strength. And she made that bold choice to sit at his feet. And that's why I asked you to pause at the start before deciding who was truly hospitable. Because the reality is both of them were serving. It's just that now we can see that, we can see clearly that, you know, one person's, um, one person's calling is to serve Jesus in a different way, in a different way from their sister. So it was Martha, right, who welcomed Jesus into her own home. It was not Mary's home, quote unquote. I mean, we don't know whether that means she, she lived there or she didn't live there. But essentially, the scripture tells us whose home it is to indicate where the responsibility was, right? So it's Mary's, sorry, it's not Mary's home, it's Martha's home. But Mary's commendation, like Jesus commending Mary for choosing the better part, I keep saying this, it's not a call to abandon the preparations, right? Again, someone must do the work. And in fact, we know actually that this same Mary is later identified as Mary of Bethany, who is the woman who anoints Jesus with the perfume, you know, in the alabaster box. So she too later has her moment of activities and preparations, right? It was not always about sitting at the feet of Jesus. So I think the question here is, what do we do in the face of preparations? Like, how do we stay on top of it all? I think the first thing is probably, you know, don't overcommit yourself. You know, sometimes we, we overcommit ourselves to more work than we can handle. Sometimes it might just be an oversight. Sometimes it might actually be due to our selfishness or due to our pride. Our wrong motives cause us to think that, you know, we can do it all maybe. And then we, we want to hog the spotlight. We don't want to give room for others to display their talents. 
and as a result we just take everything we'll do everything we'll do ourselves we'll do everything and then we're stressed we're frustrated we are disorganized trying to balance everything so don't overcommit yourself don't be afraid to delegate remember the apostles when they were called upon to attend to the hellenistic widows they chose to delegate they chose to get people who were capable to do this because they knew it would take them away from their own true service right and this process actually allowed others to take responsibility it was it, it opened up an opportunity for other people to serve do you see so if you hug the mic if you say it's only you that can you will wear yourself out one two you will prevent others from serving and that's not something that we want to be doing right we don't want to be preventing other people from serving we don't want to we want to create opportunities for other people to serve, right? So yeah, you're talented, but there are other people who can do the work as well if you give them a chance. So just like the apostles, there's nothing wrong with delegating work to others so that you can stay focused on what is important for you, right? At the same time, it's not an excuse to irresponsibility, right? You can't delegate everything. And that's where knowing how to choose the better part comes in. Because the apostles didn't run from their responsibility to the word and prayer. They didn't say, oh, look, an opportunity for us to leave the word and prayer and let's go and handle food sharing. No. So the better path is actually often the road less traveled. It's often the narrow way. So look for that and choose that. It might be harder, but choose that. Okay. And I think flowing from that, I would probably say it's okay to get help. Right. In the same vein, like if you've overcommitted yourself and you're struggling, just get help. It's important to know who can help you out of a sticky situation, right? And how best to approach them. Because no matter where you are, there's always resources around you to help you. There's no shame in asking for help. But you go to the best source first, right? So we sometimes fall into that temptation of sharing our problems with people who have no business um, hearing about them. Like you just go to social media and then you just see all sorts of things. <laughs> when the better thing would be to go straight to Jesus, uh, you know, who can fix things. So in verse 42, if anything, this is probably something that we can learn from Martha. She realized that she's frustrated and she doesn't waste any time. She has gone to tell Jesus, like she, she didn't waste any time. So like prayer is her, was her first option and prayer should be our first option and not the last resort. And, you know, she goes straight to Jesus and she's reporting, she's telling him, this is it, this is what's going on, you know. But maybe you're thinking, Oh, but Martha came to get help from Jesus and Jesus, Jesus did her, you know, Jesus slide her, <laughs> but not at all. You know, Martha knew who to go for help, but she took a very strange approach. Look at what Martha did. She said, don't you care, Lord, that my sister left me to serve alone. Tell her to assist me. You see, this is not really asking for help. This is more like venting your frustrations um with a slice of entitlement a slice of blame games and name calling she's she's going to jesus and she's like don't you she's pointing fingers at him she's like don't you care one two my sister left me alone tell her to assist me <laughs> so martha goes to jesus for help about and you know she's expecting a physical solution she's expecting that jesus would say oh yeah mary stand up go and help martha but Jesus immediately could see that her problem was internal. Her problem was spiritual. Her problem was her worry, her anxiety or her anxiousness, you know. And he focused on 
the spiritual issue, not the earthly um, particulars of her issue. So he's essentially responding to her. He's saying, the task before you is not overbearing if you will stop worrying about them. You will see that, you know, these tasks can be easily conquered if you will stop worrying about them. So she's like, I need my sister. No, what you need is to stop worrying. Okay. And so really we have the best audience with Jesus, not social media. His words always just cut straight through to the heart of the matter. And he really never, ever holds our feelings against us. He, he, he didn't even say to Mar Martha, how can you be talking to me like this? Me, Jesus, you're telling me, do I not care? How dare you? <laughs> he actually acknowledges that she's frustrated and she's upset. I said, you are worried, you're upset. I, I see your emotions. I understand what you need is not your sister. What you need is to stop worrying. Best audience. That's the best audience. She had put that on social media. People would have attacked her, attacked some people would have attacked her sister, some people would have attacked her, some people would have attacked Jesus. Oh, now you allow Jesus to enter your house. It would have been a mess and it would have been more confusion for her. But Jesus goes straight to the issue. Isn't that just amazing? And that's why he's our great high priest for this very reason. Never ever shy away from asking Jesus for help. Okay. But another thing I want to point out in what Martha said is, don't you care, Lord, that my sister left me to serve alone? So it was not about her needs. It was about what her sister did. All of her frustration and her discontent was with Mary's behavior, not even the fact that the tasks are many. She could have said, Lord, the things I have to do today are plenty. Oh, I need some assistance, please. Can Mary help me? She, she didn't say that. She says, my sister left me. Don't you care about that? So it was not about her problem. It was about her sister's actions. Juicy. And, you know, maybe she was running across the living room and she just saw, you know, at the side of her eyes, she just saw Mary laughing at the feet of Jesus. And she's like, how dare this babe? You know, like, I can't take this. <laughs> can't this babe see that I've, I've been running up and down all day? Like, I need to report this. So she's, She's comparing. She's like, don't, Jesus, don't you care? Like, tell her to help me. And it's that comparison that is the beginning of her discontent. Because comparison is where discontent begins, you see. Martha is comparing her life to her sister's life right now. And she's now pointing fingers at Jesus. She's looking at Jesus. She's like, how can this guy be so inconsiderate? We are both friends. We are both friends with you, Jesus. In fact, I'm the one that welcomed you into my home. It's my house. How can you be taking Mary's side? What kind of last-born favoritism is this? I don't get it. <laughs> I know we can often be caught in the same trap as Martha. We are focusing on the lives of everyone. And we're feeling like the Lord has done us wrong. You know, you're looking at people, people are getting married, people are having children, babies are everywhere, people are getting jobs, people are jackpying. It feels like everything good is happening to everyone else on the planet but you. So how many times probably have we looked at the lives of other people and we just pointed fingers at God? It's like, uh-uh, what about me now? When is my own turn? So Mary, uh, sorry, Martha looked at Mary and he's like telling Jesus, doesn't it seem unfair to you? That this thing is happening to me like it can seem on it may not seem unfair to others but to god like to you jesus it should seem unfair you should be able to rightfully discern this aren't you just aren't you righteous you should know better you can't just leave me in suffering and discomfort while everyone else is enjoying their lives 
And so we want the Lord to validate our comparison. We want the Lord to take our side. We want the Lord to justify us. When in reality, we're coming from a place of comparison. We're coming from a place of all of our discontent stems from that comparison, which has led to pride and envy. The thing is, if we hear the testimonies of others and our reaction is not praise at God's great deeds, our reaction is ingratitude and discontentment at our own situation, then what it means is that we've dethroned God and we've placed his gifts and his blessings at the center of our hearts because it means that's what we're truly after. That's why we're ungrateful. So what God is doing in another person's life, it should spur us to praise. It should not be triggering our selfishness. And remember, this was the mistake of Cain um, that you know Pedams mentioned during HDD. He looked at Abel and instead of him even saying, he, you know, in that moment, Cain could have said, wow, both of us offered, offered, you know, offered a sacrifice. At least yours was accepted. Thank God. How did you do it? Instead of him to be grateful that, oh, God even accepted Abel. It's not that God rejected two of us. At least God accepted one of us. Instead, he's upset. He's fixated on himself. He's, he's angry. How dare God? How, how God not accept my sacrifice? Comparison is a trickster. That's it. Comparison is a big trickster. You don't take stock of your life or your year by watching the highlights of other people's lives. We need to remember this. Our yardstick is what has been written of us in the books, not what influencers are posting on social media, not what our friends are going through or any other thing. Our yardstick is what has been written of us in the books. We can't be comparing comparing our lives or running analysis you're using the highlights of someone's life to compare so maybe martha looked at first glance and just saw mary sitting there she's just lazing around at the feet of jesus but the full story if we go through the canon of scripture is that we understand what a woman sitting at the feet of jesus meant in her day she took a risk it was a big risk and this is also the same mary who endured shame and humiliation as people watched her anoint Jesus and wipe his feet with her hair. So as we take stock of our year, as we do our personal retreats, we can't be foiled by comparison. We can't be measuring ourselves by the highlights of others. Let our measurements be the truth of God's word. Yeah, yeah. And I think in closing, um, many of us are not actually exclusively like Mary or exclusively like Martha. We have the qualities of both sisters in us. Sometimes we, we say, oh, we're so busy. And that just takes us away from devotion. And for some other people, it's like they neglect everything else in the name of I'm serving God. So many preachers, children, have preachers kids have like ended up neglected because their parents were like no we're serving god we're serving god we don't have your time and these families were ruined as a result so it, it can't be so that there, there does need to be a balance there needs to be a way that we we learn how to choose the better part in every situation and i think that's the very point the very point of us seeing in this story service in martha and devotion in mary displayed together is to really assure us that there's enough time for both. 
we can make enough time for both. Remember, I said so, 1,440 minutes every day is TikTok. How are you spending it? And choosing the better part, it really lies in this thing, is that in every situation, you apply verse 42. Verse 42 says, but one thing is, if I read um, 41 and 42, it says, don't worry about the many. Focus on the one thing which is necessary, on that which cannot be taken away. So if we are stuck in a situation and we're trying to choose which way to go, let's not worry about the many. Focus on the one thing. In this situation, what's the one thing that will not be taken away? What's the one thing that's eternal about this? And we choose that. That's the better. And I think fortunately for us, yeah, Luke's story, this story is actually suspended. It just ends after those five verses. So maybe we don't know if Martha and Mary ended up fighting after. It's like, how can you be embarrassing me? And maybe maybe after the whole thing is over and, you know, maybe they're fighting. Or maybe maybe the old one that goes nicely and, you know, later they all reconcile and they eat the food and everything is fine. Or, you know, maybe immediately after hearing that, Martha just um, leaves what she's doing and sits at the feet of Jesus. Uh, it's possible too. But we don't know how that story ends. And I like, I think that that's fortunate for us because we get to decide. We are not told explicitly what happens after that. And, you know, yeah, so we're not told. We're not told what happens. They could have ended up in a big argument. But one thing is clear. Martha is active life. She's the preparation. She's the task. Mary is contemplative life. She sits at the feet of Jesus. She's listening. She's receiving. Do you see? And so some people's approach is all about the active. It's like everything must be about the active. And for some people, it's all about the com contemplative. We always want to receive from God. We just want to receive from God. But as we plan for the year ahead, we must remember that both active and contemplative life are needed. We can't choose one over the other because that can create a false dichotomy. You can't just read this story as, ah, shame on Martha. She was cooking when people were receiving the word. Therefore, therefore, everybody must be like Mary. Everybody should sit at the feet of Jesus. Every other thing must go. If you do that, you will, you will just leave yourself with an image of faith that never lives out God's word because you're always receiving, but you're never living it out. You never do anything for anyone else. It's just you receiving, receiving, receiving. But Christ gently reminds Martha and us, because we are the audience, that in that situation, the person who made the right choice was the person who was not walking in worry and in anxiety. Actions, preparations, daily tasks, loving your neighbor, all of those things must flow from devotion. Because, of course, what we do flows naturally from who we are. And so for the believer, any action of you know, charity, hospitality, or all other facets of life, if we're going to sustain them for a lifetime, it must flow from a place of devotion, right? So as that new year comes, let's not you know, fix our minds on, oh, to-do list or new year resolution, or you know, even maybe the multitude of prophecies that is going to come, because everybody's going to have a prophecy, everybody's going to have a it take about what the year is about or what the year will bring, you know, everyone will have something to say. What matters is whose feet we're going to sit at, right? And what is going to flow from there. That will determine what we do with our year. 
and how we choose the better part in every situation that comes our way. Okay, so as I drop the mic, um, I'd like to leave us with this truth. God's grace is different but sufficient for every situation, right? God's grace is different but sufficient for every situation. God's grace was sufficient for Martha, just as it was for Mary in that situation. And in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. If that good work is active, or if that good work is contemplative, it is still a good work. It is your attitude in that moment that matters. Okay? Okay. Father, in Jesus' name, may our devotion be whole. May we not be distracted. May we not be chasing after the many. May we always be found choosing the better part, even in the busiest seasons of our lives, Lord. Help us that we fix our eyes on you, we fix our eyes on the one thing, that we are able to assess situations rightly in the name of Jesus. We are not um, a people who use comparison or the lives of others as a yardstick for measuring our own achievements or our own identity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. God bless your hearts. Here's good night. What a word. Thank for more you. messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Parpoint Tribe.